Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about the founding story of Tosh Farms with Mr. Jimmy Tosh. How are you doing today, Mr. Tosh? I'm great, Matthew. How are you today? I'm pretty good. So it's exciting to have you on, and it sounds like you just got out of a, a great game between Nashville and Buffalo. Yeah, probably the best professional football game I've ever seen, or exciting game. It was a it was a very good game, big crowd, and uh, just uh, important game. We're four and two now, so uh, we've got a good chance of making the playoffs in the division we're in. Absolutely, it didn't start out as great the first couple of games, but it, they've really been coming around these past few weeks, haven't they? Oh yeah, the Arizona game was terrible. I mean, we just got our butt stomped in that game, but uh, uh, we've come along. We lost to the Jets, we, we shouldn't have, but we had two players out, but had lots of injuries last night on both sides too. So, uh, but that's part of football. It is. So before we hop into the topic today, I'm supposed to ask you a question around fantasy football, and it's been driven by Jose Santiago. He said that I'm supposed to ask you if he's really as good at fantasy football as he says he is no he's not (laughs) so i want to get going with this and really appreciate you taking the time to share your story with everybody there's a, a lot of really cool elements of it that i hope we can talk about to start out could you just talk about how tosh farm started how did you get involved in the industry well, I'm a third generation farmer uh, in our in our family. My uh, dad, granddad moved from uh, the neighboring county of Carroll County to Henry County in 1913. And uh, the farm that he bought in uh, when he moved to Henry County is still in the farm. And he was a uh, he was a sweet potato merchant. He analyzed, he handled fertilizer. In fact, one of the things that we just moved to our new house and I found some checks from the 20s and 30s and we're going to pick some of them up and get them framed and put them on the wall. I think it's, it's kind of an interesting story. And he had a son uh, and uh, uh, three daughters. And uh, my dad, he, uh, he, he farmed, he trucked, he, uh, he had a feed mill. Uh, he had a, uh, uh, my mother and him, they had a restaurant together and, uh, we also had a dairy operation. Well, unfortunately, my dad became disabled in 1955, and we had to sell the dairy out. And but we maintained the home farm, which is the farm that I live on today. And uh, in 1962, my mother got uh, elected as trustee in Henry County, and we moved from the east side of the Highway 79 to the west side of Highway 79, and where I lived till 1986. But anyway, we had a, after we sold the dairy, we kept a few beef cows and I took care of them. And during uh, my days in FFA, I got involved in the, uh, in, 
the hogs. I had a few hogs and I had a few sows, built some crates in the FFA class and uh, started buying feeder pigs and feeding, feeding those out. And uh, went to college in 1972, got a degree in, uh, in uh, animal science, uh, came back to the farm. Uh, my dad passed away in 1972 uh, my, and my mother got killed in a car accident in 1970. So, Came back to farm, and at the time we had 318 acres, and uh, I, I bought feeder pigs and fed pigs all the way out to the mid 90s, and uh, industry had changed uh, significantly during that time frame. And I made a trip to uh, North Carolina and uh, visited with Randy Stocker with the uh, Murphy Family Farms at the time, and uh, we toured one Saturday and. Uh, with the intention of building a couple of fishing floors when I came back and I said after that trip I said well I can do this I can do what they're trying to do so I started out um, didn't have a lot of capital back then started out buying wiener pigs from putting contracts together from several smaller producers and buying wiener pigs and then on the south until 1994 contracted a unit with a producer in Kentucky and he's still a, still a producer for us there and uh, for there have, have, uh, have grown. Now, we row cropped all during that time. I, uh, uh, today, we've, we row cropped 19,000 acres and uh, got uh, 36,000 sows. So it's a, been an interesting experience. I guess I just had enough sense to quit. So, and I just enjoy what I'm doing. So when, when I kind of want to step along the way there, I guess back when you were younger, I guess, before you went to college, I guess, what were some of the bigger challenges that you and your family faced with just, just farming back then? Well, we just, uh, we really didn't depend on, uh, on farming for a livelihood back then. Uh, like I say, my mother was trustee of the, the county and my dad was disabled. He'd had a stroke and heart attack in, in 55 and uh, was paralyzed in the right hand side. So it, uh, we just had a few cattle and kind of supplement the income. Just uh, I was involved in FFA and in the FFA project. And uh, got out of school, graduated high school in 1967. Uh, went to uh, University of Tennessee Martin and majored in agriculture. But at the time, I commuted back and forth all the time because uh, you know I had chores and stuff I had to do on the farm, and nobody else was able to do it. What kind of a commute was that? Uh, about 30 miles. Oh, okay. So enough to wake up in the morning and then relax before you get home, but nothing too, too terrible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. about a about a forty minute drive uh, to and from. Gotcha. So then you had mentioned that um, you, your mom and dad passed away, and then you came and took care of the farm. I guess what were some of the the bigger challenges that came with taking all of that upon yourself when when all that took place? Oh. Well, definitely a learning experience. Uh, you know, when I got when I was in college, I had a goal of having a thousand acres of crops and selling two thousand pigs a year, which is a very sizable operation back then. But today, mm-hmm. but uh, just uh, renting my neighbor's farm in nineteen seventy three or four, I believe, and uh, uh, from there we've uh, actually owned that farm now. But uh, from there, we just uh, started to. Uh, Started growing. Didn't fortunately in the seventies. I didn't buy any land. I always wondered if I bought a bunch of land, would I still be farming today? Because the eighties were very, very tough in, in agriculture. And fortunately, I didn't buy any land in the seventies. And uh, uh, 
started accumulating land. Uh, I actually bought my first property in 1983. There we uh, accumulated fairly sizable acreage. Gotcha. So when you uh, visited Murphy with Randy, would that have been in, you said in the 80s? No, it would have been in the 90s, probably 90s. 94 or somewhere. Yeah, so I guess what was the status of your farming operations prior to going with Randy and meeting there in North Carolina? And then, yeah, I guess we'll start there. And then what you said you learned what they were doing over North Carolina and said, I can do this. What well, did you learn? Well, I went over with attention, want to build a couple of fences, barn, went over with a builder from Kentucky with some other producers, and we just went over there to to view the industry and uh, I saw how it was structured, how they were, how they how they were uh, producing pigs and uh, it was a very efficient system. And I said, well, I think I can do this. So came back and uh, started out by building a contract nursery. Gotcha. And uh, from there, I own that nursery now. Uh, we don't use nurseries now. We're all way to finish. And uh, it started from there and just, and just kept growing. Gotcha. So I guess at that time, how many how many sows and 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 market hogs do you think you were you were at? Oh, I had uh, I had zero sows in 1994. Uh, my first adventure in uh, in uh, contract production on sows was a uh, the Lyon family in Kentucky, and they're still part of our system today. And uh, He'd had some tough times in the 80s, too, and uh, he had, uh, I think at the time, he'd had 300 sales outdoors. And I started buying a lot pig. of work. Yeah, I started buying pigs from him, and uh, we started talking, and uh, he put in a 600 sale operation outdoors, and I, I was a contractee. And from there, he built a 1,200-unit sale in, I believe, 94. 95 or 96 and then we doubled it in a couple of years and uh, he's at 2400 and uh, still still with us still a good producer gotcha yeah i've had to work with some outdoor farms and it's a lot of work that's yeah. a lot of work yeah there definitely was and of course he's inside now but that's that's how he got started because he didn't have any capital that's he had to do what he had to do to get into the business yeah, my grandfather had a outdoor sows and you know you move in with the hog cart and you have all the different grinding your own feed and doing it doing it all that way. So I'm very familiar with what it looked like at least in that regards and it was funny as little kids we would uh he found us once having like a line of all the grandkids passing a bucket of feed to one another and apparently we were feeding all the sows <laughs> all the gestating sows and uh he said he didn't have to feed them for like 2 days cuz apparently we put too much in there and Innocence of kids, but yeah, I remember those days. Um, well, my, my wife, uh, we got married in 1978, and I think I had about 3,000 pigs outside on their electric fence. And uh, she's a city girl, so she had a good education before she got married. <laughs> so the uh, so I guess you you go and you you start contracting pigs from them. When did you start getting involved with sows? Uh. First sow unit that I uh, bought was uh, in uh, Madisonville, Kentucky, and uh, we still own it today. And then uh, there was a distressed auction of a unit in uh, southern middle Tennessee. Uh, 
I think it had three turns of pigs to it. It was built in 98. Of course, people that are in the swine industry remember 98, 99 very well. But anyway, mm -hmm. at a stress auction, I ended up bought, buying it. It was a finishing site and had three turns of pigs to it. And uh, we converted it to sales and we still own it today. Gotcha. Is that the one down over in Huntland? Yes, yes. Gotcha. That's a pretty good unit for being built back then. Yeah, we gave a hundred eighty thousand dollars for it uh, at auction, and the land was worth that. The buildings, I thought, might have to be torn down and just move the equipment and stuff out. But uh, fortunately, we were able to work out some agreement with the neighbor and uh, converted it to sales. And uh, I think you know Katie. Yes. To be at the auction, and one thing led to another, and uh, Katie has been with us twenty some odd years, and uh, great person, good pick person, and a great individual. Oh yeah, she's great. She is. She's pretty awesome, and and that is one beautiful area too. I mean, there's there's people who'd see that area and say this is like an area you'd retire in. Well, I'm never going to leave Henry County, Tennessee. <laughs> if I was going to leave, that would probably be my second choice. It is a it is a great area down there. So now that you're buying up these sows, you're you're you're, you're growing. You you guys do some pretty cool stuff with uh, with byproducts, right? With with oh, feed. Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk about how you got into that? Because I, never in my life did I ever think I was going to see a 20-foot pile of Rice Krispies or whatever was there. Yeah. I mean, you guys, I think it was uh, Captain Crunch or something, or well, Snickers. Yeah, we've had a little bit of everything, uh, anywhere from Starburst to Captain Crunch to right now we're feeding Butterfingers, peanut butter, yeah. fortune cookies, um Dog food is still our biggest, uh, or pet food is our still biggest byproduct we feed. Uh, so we we feed a lots of different ingredients. Actually, got involved in it in uh, that 2006 or seven, I believe. Uh, and quite honestly, it was a lifesaver at that time because that was uh, the time that corn had moved up in price because of the uh, ethanol mandate, and mm -hmm. I didn't have the equipment to. Uh, process the dog food or or debag it so uh I, we took a combine through the bags in a combine and uh used the combine to open the bags and separate the bags and the, the, the pet food from it so uh, and it's it's been a one of the disadvantages we have in, in tennessee we don't have the cheaper grain prices that you have in the upper midwest so we've been able to overcome that with with byproducts so then what led to the growth and expansion to what Tosh Farms is today in such a short period of time. It might feel like a while, but it, it, that'd only be about a 15 year time frame, right? Um, about 20. Uh, 20. I don't know. We, uh, we've had a, we had a good, we had a good contractual rate arrangement with our Brian foods at the time. And it allowed us to, to expand and, uh, since then they've closed and we have a uh, arrangement with another packer. And it's been a very, very good experience with that. I've been very satisfied with it. So, and they wanted us to to supply more pigs, and we decided that uh, it was a good opportunity for for our family, and uh, we started adding sales. Gotcha. Do you think you guys are going to be adding any more anytime soon? Well, we're building a fifty six hundred right now. Uh, hopefully, get it stocked uh, sometime around the first of the year. Uh, we, as everybody else, have had some labor issues, mainly. Well, we've got lots of project going now. We're building a new feed mill, and we we, we do our own internal construction. And uh, uh, electrician can only do so many, many yeah. hours in a day, so we've 
we did a little on the back burner to get our feed mill up and going. So uh, we do have plans to add some more sales past this one. This we did hold this construction up on this a few months this winter because we're trying to decide whether to make the farm Prop 12 compliant or not. And it is not Prop 12 compliant. It could be converted fairly easily. But I had a little difficulty in converting it to Prop 12 when, when the rules and regulations have not been finalized. And as far as I know, have not been finalized as of today. So uh, we would convert it. Uh, we There's going to be a cost to it. and. Uh, we hope the industry will be able to recoup the, the, the cost of converting, but uh, uh, that's yet to be decided. Yeah, it's a tough decision as an owner to figure out what you do with Prop 12. I mean, there's been, I guess, a lot of producers thinking about doing it, a lot of them going towards it. And it's like, if so many people go towards it, then there probably isn't much of a premium there. And how long do you need a premium for it to all make sense? Yeah, and our analysis of the, the cost of Prop 12 is it's a lot, lot cheaper and easier to do it on a, on a new construction than it is retrofit. Mm. For, for lots of different reasons. Number one, your fairing is not sized right on a retrofit. Uh, your finish is not sized right. You got animals you got to deal with during the, during the, the changeover. So it's, uh, I've, my analysis says about twice the cost on a retrofit versus new construction. Within the next uh, couple of years or within the next year or two, what do you, what do you think the percentage of the market that's going to be Prop 12 compliance is going to be is a, is a rough estimate? Well, it's only about 15% of the pork going into California. 15% of the pork produced in this country that goes into the is for the California market. And not all the pork will have to be compliant because some products are excluded. But uh, it's uh, supposedly... A couple of companies can supply the needs. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. That's some analysis I've heard from a, from from one well-known analysis in the industry, but uh, we'll we'll have to see. I yeah, I'm curious if we overshoot the number. Yeah, yeah. I of course you've got other states. You've got Massachusetts. Of course, they've delayed theirs, I believe, for a year, and then Oregon. And you got Oregon, Washington may pass it. You've got uh, Colorado. You've got Arizona. So I. It's not. It's probably not the end of it. It's going to be interesting whether the Supreme Court decides whether it's constitutional or not because of dormant commerce. Gotcha. So I guess to step back and kind of talk a little bit more about highlights along the way. Now that we've got a good overview of the story, let's start. What's something about you that most people that work with you or know you do not know? Well, I'm not proud of it, but I've been married twice, and that means people know that. Gotcha. It goes back to my early seventies, and I wasn't married for about a year and a half. So uh, uh, I don't spread that out. So uh, I would say a lot of many people know that. Gotcha. Well, you've been then happily married for a long time since then. Oh, uh, forty-three years, I believe. Any any marital advice? I'm I'm getting married here next year, so I'm curious. Uh, what marital advice might you have for everybody? Just find a good loving wife. So then. I guess along the way, what were some of the most rewarding times and frustrating times over the past the past forty years? Oh, I, I don't know. There's lots of rewarding times. I mean, uh, just seeing the farm grow, and, and and I've got two great kids, and uh, 
having them and they're both involved in, in the, in the farm. Uh, that's been, it's been one of the most satisfying, uh, parts of the operation. Of course, one of the, one of the issues is that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be here forever and, uh, got to get them prepared for the future. So, uh, that's one thing that I'm working on now, but, uh, I do have a good, uh, good set of employees and, uh, two good kids. And I think the farm will be in good hands. Frustrating. I don't know. Uh, I guess the most frustrating thing to me is employees that make mistakes that are stupid. Now everybody makes mistakes, but just making stupid mistakes, just, just bothers yeah. me. And, <laughs> and uh, another thing, if somebody makes a mistake and he tries to hide it, just come on mm-hmm. out and tell what it is. And uh, I'll, I'll live with it, but uh, don't try to hide it. Absolutely. And no, you mentioned your kids too. Your grandkid, he also helps a bit on the, on the farm, right? Or around yeah, the operations? I've got, uh, I've got uh, two grand, grand, grandchilds and uh, one, uh, uh, and uh, one, one granddaughter. And she's, she's fairly young. She's four. And uh, uh, Colton is 10 and uh, Braden is, I think, 16. And they both help on the farm. Colton is a little, he doesn't like me too much. He don't think I'm paying him enough. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he may try to organize a union and try to get a little more money. Yeah, when I when I met with him, yeah, I remember him mentioning that, like, hey, Grandpa, are you going to pay me more? <laughs> <laughs> At least he knows the value of money. Yeah, absolutely. So when, uh, I guess when we look at the the success, what what have been the major keys to success for you? that you can point at and say, these are the key things that I can, I can look at and say, this is what success came from. I think, I think the biggest thing about running a business is you need to know where you're at and you need to think, or maybe not know where you're going, but have a roadmap of where you want want to be at. If you don't know what your costs are, uh, uh, you just got to be competitive in this industry. And, uh, you know, we're a commodity industry and, uh, you know, my corn is the same as your corn, uh, unless you've got a niche market. So you've got to know your cost. You got to keep your cost down. And I think that's one one advantage that we've had. I mean, we broke up quite a bit of acreage. So we've got our trucking division. We do our all our own construction. So I think we're very very good in, in controlling cost and uh, our our production on the on the pig end is is very good. And I happen to be in a I think Tennessee is a great state to raise pigs in. There's not any in the state, so there's not any uh, health issues we don't have in the Midwest. We have great climate. We have a good business environment. So it's uh, uh, and we've got some disadvantage because feed cost is higher, and we're a little little distance to a packer. But outside of that, it's a it's a great location to raise pigs. So do you think that's what gives you a slight edge over over other producers? Is is your ability to manage cost? Oh, I don't. I don't think there's any question about that. Yeah, I mean, our building cost is is much cheaper than the average in the industry. What we pay our contract growers is is lower than the average in the industry, but uh, they they get as good a return because the building cost is lower. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to reduce cost and then raise pigs, but you're not only reducing the cost of of production. You guys are raising a heck of a, a good operation. I was with Seth Krantz on a podcast that's going to be releasing here soon. And he was talking about farms being as low as 5% mortality at times. And 
Uh, I've met your managers. They're all very passionate. Your teams are passionate. It's not just a cost cut approach. You you guys are a very thorough operation when it comes to doing things well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not the best sow person in the world. In fact, I've never worked on a sow farm, but uh, I've got some very good sow people that, that work for me. I mean, we've got, uh, we're on the meta farm record keeping system. And we've got three of the top 10 farms in that system. So that tells you that our people do a good job. Not a good Absolutely. job. Absolutely. Great job. Well, it's never too late to go work a day on a cell farm. Well, I've never worked a day on a cell farm. I have. I, I know. I'm giving you a hard I time. I one. <laughs> so I guess when we uh, we look at the industry as a whole, now we're talking and kind of wrapping up success. How do you think success for one producer might, how does success vary throughout our industry? How, how does How do producers look at success differently from one another based on what you've noticed? Oh, I don't know. I think uh, the biggest uh, measure of success is uh, the probability of the operation, I believe. But that could be measured in lots of different ways. And you could do it through a niche market. You could do it through production. You could do it through cost. I think there's just lots of ways to measure success in that. And not everybody has uh, has the same goals that uh, that others have. I mean, not many I mean, people might want to have the amount of sales we've got, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just it's just what you want to do in, in life. And uh, I've never stopped growing and uh, don't have any intention of stopping. So to wrap things up, what's a life lesson or a golden nugget that you might be able to offer to people who are listening? Uh, always be honest. Uh, say what you do and do what you say. Well, thank you, Mr. Tosh, for joining us on the Popular Pig Podcast. It's been a pleasure to be able to hear your story and to share your story with everyone who's listening. And it's 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 pretty awesome. And we really thank you for your time. All right. Appreciate it, Matthew. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.